Uh, the scripture, scripture reading today is from Acts 2, verses 1 through 13, and also verses 36 to 41. Acts 2, verse 1 begins on page 1692 in your pew Bibles. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house with, while they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in their tongue, other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were standing in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And now we go to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation those who accepted his mission message was, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that, their number that day. Thank you, Wayne. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to that passage. We're going to look at that and, um, in some detail, and also there is an outline in your bulletin if you care to follow the message uh, with that. Um, and, but before we delve in, let's just take a moment. We have some time to just quiet our hearts and minds and become receptive to what the Spirit will tell us today. Let's pray. Amen. Well, all of us can probably point back to days in our lives where there was a change. 
a change that affected everything for the rest of our lives, whether it be like a graduation today or the birth of a child, the start of a new job, an unexpected heart surgery, that day becomes a defining moment that shapes maybe who you are and how you will live. The same can be saying, said for history. For Americans, it's July 4, 1776, or September 11, 2001. It's not really the date that matters most, but it's that the date marks a turning point a turning point in history. And that is what this day, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is for the Christian church and for history. It's a -a one-of-a-kind day when everything changes for those who have been following Jesus. Pentecost is the birth of the Christian church. Originally, Pentecost is an annual Jewish holiday. And what they commemorate on Pentecost in the Jewish faith is the day that Moses met God on Mount Sinai. And God gave him the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting that it's on that day of celebration that the Spirit comes. And so there's kind of a transition from law to spirit. Now, Pentecost is one of the three required Jewish holidays. So thousands of Jews from all over the ancient world came to Jerusalem to celebrate. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, this refers to the 120 followers of Jesus, and they've been praying for 10 days, a 10-day prayer meeting. Jesus tells them to go and do that. He tells them, I want you to wait and pray, and the Holy Spirit's going to come to you. But they have no idea what that means. They don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know what to expect. And what they experience is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And their lives were changed forever. The Holy Spirit comes with three supernatural signs. A sound, a sight, and speech. Acts 2.2 says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. The sound comes like a thunderstorm or a tornado, and all their prayers would have just been drowned out. It's not a literal storm, but something supernatural that fills the whole house. It's not a literal wind, but something like a wind. It's strong, it's wonderful, and the the sound, it represents the power of the Holy Spirit, like the blowing of a violent wind. Supernatural power. Verse 3 tells us they see what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. With the sound of wind, comes the sight of fire. And it's as if the ceiling is lapped in flames by this giant fiery tongue that then splits apart into 120 little flames that rest upon each one of them. 
maybe you can imagine a huge campfire filled with a roaring flame that rises up and then splits off and, and all the, the flames rest upon everyone there. Nobody's hurt, nobody's burned, but it's exhilarating. Again, it's not actual tongues, but this is the closest comparison that they can imagine. They are seeing a miracle. The supernatural presence of God himself. Just like what happened with Moses when he met God on Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments. Verse 4 says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the Holy Spirit of God not only came into the room, but he comes into people. Their bodies are saturated with the presence of God and awareness of the reality of God. In another place, the Apostle Paul says, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit resides in us. And this all changed their lives. And when they talk, something comes out that they've never spoken before. The miracle of speech. They can talk in foreign languages that they've never learned. The only way to explain this is it supernatural? Imagine right here and now, if we heard a wind rush through the doors and there was a fire that came down out of the ceiling and, and the Spirit came upon us and we all started speaking different languages, Indian dialects, Tonga, French, Mandarin, Cantonese. Friends, this powerful event reminds us and reveals to us that Christianity is a supernatural religion. It's not just about a set of doctrines or rules. It's, it's supernatural. There's a relationship of power with the Spirit of God. As the people hear the story of Jesus and his crucifixion and resurrection, in their own native tongues, people that were listening to all this, they said, what does this mean? How are these people speaking in our language and telling the story of Christ? Other people think the disciples are drunk. They think this is funny. But they're mistaken. What it means is the Spirit is real. The Spirit is powerful and the Spirit is surprising. He's unpredictable. We can't put him in a box. The Spirit is also universal. He communicates in all languages. And that means the Spirit fills us and empowers us to tell the wonders of God. And it means a new era has come. The era of the church. God is birthing a new thing here. The Holy Spirit now comes in his fullness. See, in the Holy Spirit was always present before. And we read in, this, in the Old Testament the places where the Spirit's at work, but it seems that he does not permanently dwell in anybody. The Spirit came and empowered prophets and leaders for specific events 
or, or a ministry or even for battles. We might say the Holy Spirit was with the believers of the Old Testament, but he did not dwell within them. But now, in the Christian era, the Holy Spirit dwells within. He comes into the believer. He fills us with himself. And the Holy Spirit, what he does, he takes everything that Jesus did. His teachings, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and he applies it to our lives. He brings the salvation of Jesus into us. He applies it to those who believe. The Holy Spirit also begins to shape us. He shapes the character of Christ in us. And he gives us gifts and abilities to continue the ministry of Jesus in this world. So the Spirit, He empowers us to, to be faithful. We're dependent on the Spirit to even have faith. That's what it means that the Christian life is supernatural. We're dependent upon the Spirit to live the Christian life, to see the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. On the other hand, this event... It's not just about us individually, but it's about the church. Pentecost not only marks the birthday of the church, but how the Holy Spirit empowers the body of Christ to continue the mission of Jesus. The question we want to ask is how do you identify a church that is filled with the Spirit? What do we look for? in a church to determine and evaluate if it is living by and with the Holy Spirit of God. Now there are some who would say, well, we have to look for these miraculous signs of the Spirit, speaking in tongues and supernatural healings and deliverance and being slain in the Spirit. And if we stopped with the first 11 verses here, we might conclude that. But when Peter goes on to preach and give an explanation of this event and tells us what it means, we see three other dynamics that reveal the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The first way we identify a Spirit-filled church is by its mission and ministry. Its mission and its ministry. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said to his followers, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be, listen to this, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. This is the primary point of the Pentecost experience to fill God's church and empower it with the Spirit so that we may continue the witness of Jesus Christ. So a sign of a Spirit-filled church is a church continuing this mission and ministry, a mission of preaching the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ and serving the needs of others, being His hands and feet. Now, throughout the Bible, there are four analogies of the Holy Spirit. One is oil, oil that invigorates. 
Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And then in verse 3, to bestow on them the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Oil. And then water. Water that refreshes. Revelation 22 says the Spirit and the bride say, Come, whoever's thirsty, let him take of the free gift of the water of life. And then there is wind. Wind which stirs things up. John 3, 8, Jesus said, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And then, as we've seen in the story, there's fire. Fire that purifies. Acts 2, 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, all of these analogies are in some way about energy, and about refreshing. This power, this refreshing, is given to us to witness to Christ. Verse 11 says, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. That's what it's about, declaring the wonders of God. But there's more. As Peter goes on in his sermon in Acts 2, verses 14 through 37, he shows them a, a spirit-filled church is identified by its message, the message that it proclaims. And the message of a spirit-filled church is Christ-centered. It's not about social issues. It's not about all other kinds of things we attach to it. It's about Jesus. And Peter's sermon is Christ-centered and Bible-centered. He begins with a long quotation from the prophet Joel of the Old Testament. He grounds what he has to say to explain these Pentecost events coming from Scripture. In verses 25 through 28, he quotes Psalm 16. In verse 34, he quotes Psalm 110. So the message of a spirit-filled church is solidly grounded in the scriptures, in God's revealed word. And the message of a spirit-filled church is one of victory. Peter proclaims the resurrection of Jesus. And it's not even Easter. But Peter shows how the resurrection is predicted. And then he declares it. Then he witnesses to it. I saw it. Again, the message is biblically grounded and focuses on Jesus. And not only that, but the message is convicting. As Peter concludes in verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what do we do? This was the response to the sermon. They took action. They wanted to be right with God. They wanted to be filled with this Holy Spirit. Their lives were changed. Spirit-filled church is, is identified by its mission. 
and its ministry, and it is biblical, and it's Christ-centered in its message. And then thirdly, it is revealed by the maturity of its members. When the people hear this sermon and they ask, what shall we do? Peter says to them, he says, you need to repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So, to follow Jesus, I must repent. I must be sorry enough to change the direction of my life and to follow the Savior. I must be baptized for the remission of sins. Baptized, baptism is the outward sign of an inward condition, an inward change. We baptize infants of believing parents in anticipation of this repentance and faith. But then Paul says, uh, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everyone who repents from their unbelief and puts their faith in Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. The Christian is sealed in the Holy Spirit from the moment we place our faith in Christ. And then verses 40 through 47 reveal the activity and attitudes of believers who live in the Spirit, a Spirit-filled church. Verse 41 says those who accepted this message were baptized, which included 3,000 people. 3,000 people in one event. The first activity of the church is evangelism and saving res results from the proclamation of it. So we look to see spirit-filled churches growing, growing numerically. The rest of the chapter also shows how they grow spiritually. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devote themselves to the fellowship of the church. They devote themselves to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone is filled with awe. And there are signs and wonders and, that are done by the apostles. And, and everybody shares everything in common voluntarily. They sell their possessions and goods and they give to those who have need. They continue to meet together in large groups in the temple courts and they break bread together in their homes and, and in small groups. And they praise God and they enjoy the favor of all the people. And the Lord adds to their number daily those who are being saved. There's a revival. There's a renewal. And they're growing. Friends, do you see this dynamic of the Spirit-filled church? There's spiritual growth and spiritual maturity amongst the people. They're learning and sharing and praying and worshiping, fellowshipping. There's life. A spirit-filled church multiplies and at the same time is unified in such a way that it points everything back to God and brings glory to Christ. The event of Pentecost reveals to us our power source, the power source of the church, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is promised to those who believe Verse 39, the promise is for you, meaning the people he was speaking to, and your children, the next generation, 
and for all whom the Lord our God will call, for all who are far off, those who are down the line. There, he's talking about us. We continue in this movement, started with the life and the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And we are connected to and continue in this Pentecost event, the filling of the Holy Spirit, 2,000 years ago. All of our strategies, all our techniques will not bring any spiritual fruit unless it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The next 30 years after the event of Pentecost, the history of the world is changed. Literally, that is not an exaggeration. This new movement starts to change the course of world history. And again, we stand in, in, in line with that. We stand connected with that movement. Do we want what they experienced? Do we want the wind to blow? The room to shake, the fire to fall, the spirit to fill. Now, the Holy Spirit is not going to repeat Pentecost like a movie rerun. Because the Holy Spirit is fresh. The Holy Spirit does new things and creative things. The sounds and sights and speech at Pentecost, they're unusual, if not unique. But the presence and the power and the equipping of the Spirit are not unusual. And they're not unique. They're, they're always powerful, present, and full of surprises. So what shall we do? Well, we gather as they gather. We pray as they pray. We believe as they believe. We wait as they waited. We welcome the Holy Spirit, subtle or spectacular, sooner or later. May the Holy Spirit fill us and fulfill His great plan in us and through us as we continue in His way today and into the future. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we are humbled and thankful that we belong to this great work that you have done in the world and that you are doing and that you will do. That we are part of the people who have been called out, called to belong to you and to be sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And we pray for his outpouring and manifestation in our church and in our local churches in our denomination and through the invisible church throughout the world. Lord, we declare our dependence upon you. We need the Spirit and we pray for fresh fillings and renewals and igniting in our lives. Grow your fruit in us, Holy Spirit, the fruit of love and joy and peace and long-suffering, of endurance patience, kindness, and self-control. Equip us with your gifts 
that we may serve and minister. Lord, shape, shape us as your church to be the people we need to be in this place at this time and help us to prepare people for the future, to make disciples and call out people from our congregation to be pastors and to be missionaries and to serve you in different kinds of works. In all of this, Lord, we surrender ourselves to the Spirit and we pray that everything that's done will be to your glory, to your purposes, to the advancement of your kingdom, and to our good as well. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.